Welcome into the Garage Talk podcast, and we have Vanessa Darpino. I hope I got that right. I've only asked you a couple of times how to say your last name. It's very exciting to have you over here. I just kind of reached out to you via, did I use the GoFundMe message? Is that yes, what it was? Yep. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I asked somebody, I saw someone share your story about bobsledding, which we're going to get to that a little bit later on. Um, but they shared it, and I reached out to him and said, hey, can you get me in touch with her? And they said, well, there's a link on the GoFundMe. I'm like, <laughs> So you, you can't just get me into, well, anyway, so I just, I did. I just went to the link, yes. sent off a message. And then what was it a few days later? I think you sent me a Facebook message maybe. Yeah. So I got the GoFundMe like right away and it says, just reply to this email. And I'm like, okay. I never heard anything back. I'm like, well, maybe it didn't go through. I don't know how this works. I've never used GoFundMe before. So I was like, let me find this guy on Facebook and <laughs> go from there. So. so I had to creep you on Facebook. Then you had to creep me on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> and then the creepy guy invited you over to the garage, <laughs> which, you know, when I first started this, me being so close to it, it's not even an issue, right? I think, okay, cool. I'm going to do the podcast from the garage. It'll be fun. But then the more I started thinking about it, I'm like, wait, I'm inviting, in this case, a female to my house <laughs> into the garage. That sounds really weird. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the things like, hey, dad, I'm going to share my location with you. All right. No, <laughs> yeah. Well, the good but news is good. we've had uh, I've already had one Jackson County deputy over here. There you go. I had an <laughs> Oregon State Police detective, but then my computer melted down. So we didn't even end up doing the podcast, but you'll be OK, I promise. Oh, man. Let me grab my water real quick. Um, so anyway, let's get started. Let's uh, talk about where you're from. First of all, you went to North Valley High School. Yeah, so I'm born and raised in Grants Pass, Oregon. All of my whole family is. My parents were born in, well, my mom's from Cape Junction. My dad originally was born in L.A. Um, and they all both came up together, met in high school, been high school sweethearts. Um, and I was born in Grants Pass. Uh, yeah, born and raised, went through North Valley High School. When I got to North Valley, the only reason I got into doing track and field, which led me to bobsled was due to a um, middle school teacher, actually, um, PE woodshop teacher and um, science teacher were both like, you can't just do soccer, you got to do track and field. I was like, all right, who wants to run? And then I ended up falling in love with it, um, won some state championships in high school, state record holder, and decided to go to Oregon State University out of high school. Okay, now slow down yeah. just a little <laughs> bit because I want to hear a few more details okay, about some of this stuff it. because I want to know when you graduated from North Valley. I graduated in 2014. Okay. Yes. Because uh, I coached at Fleming for a while, basketball, but that's been a oh, long really? time ago. So it was way before your time. It was like 2004, five-ish. Uh, yeah. So yeah, definitely before your time. But um, I want to know who those teachers were yes. that encouraged you to get into track and field. Oh, man. I can't remember his name right now. <laughs> You're going to blank me out here. Um, science teacher, Mr. R Reynolds. No, not Reynolds. Rollins. Rollins I wouldn't know the difference name. anyway. Rollins. I mean, he will if he ends up listening to this. I don't know I if hope that's he does. Wouldn't that be cool, though? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was the guy that gave everybody detentions and everything else, but we were cool. Um, and then my woodshop teacher, he was just an older guy and constantly just had me working on wood products. I grew up projects. I mean, I grew up doing that. That was kind of like... My main focus and stuff was just creating my own projects and doing fun things. And then somehow we were low on staff and he became my PE teacher as well. Um, the woodshop teacher yeah. ends up being the PE teacher? Yeah. And one day he challenged one guy. I think his name was Cole DeCourcy, actually. I was going against him. And one girl, which was me, to do a pull-up competition. And he was like, you'll see that, you know, girls can't do as many pull-ups. And I'm going to have them do the hanging challenge. It was one of those fun things. I was like, I can do pull-ups? What are you talking about? Um, I ended up repping them out. And my friend, the guy, could only do like five. And I was like, see, don't, you know, don't judge a book off its cover. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where the whole, you need to do track and field. And you're strong and you're fast. And 
that's kind of where that came into play. So when was that for you as far as were you uh, like what grade? Seventh grade. Okay, so you're still in yeah. junior high then. So yeah. still a lot of time to develop and yes. get out there and run. Absolutely. I didn't go out for cross country until I was a junior uh, it's kind of a similar situation where as our basketball coach said, listen, you're either going to play football or you're going to run cross country. And I wasn't good at football. I just wasn't big <laughs> enough. So I ended up running cross country, ended up making it to state. And it was one of those things much like yourself where you think I don't really want to run. Yeah. But then once I started running, I learned a lot about myself by running and figuring out that, oh, the harder you work, the better you can be. Absolutely. And some of us are only going to get so good just because we're not that <laughs> gifted. Obviously in your yeah. case, you were. And then what events were you doing in track and field? Um, always done the sprints. Um, relays was always fun, four by one, four by four. Um, never really ventured above the 800 until I got to college, or up to the 800, I mean. I only did the 800 one time, um, but always stayed the 100, 200, 400 meter dashes. And so you started out early on then, junior high? Yes. And then at what point did you realize that you were going to be pretty good? Was it right away or did it take a while to get better? And, and um, you said something about a state record in there somewhere. Yeah, so. it kind of took a while. Um, I didn't realize we were like kind of good at it until the high school coach, Aaron Samuelson found out we could run under 13 seconds, which was like so cool, I guess, you know, for a middle schooler. And we were like, all right, cool. We came up to the high school and thought me and my twin sister, that's why I keep saying we, um, we came up to the high school and started racing against you know the freshmen and stuff and we were keeping up or beating them and we were like okay this is uh this is a lot of fun it's fun to win you know everybody wants to win um yeah so then my junior year is when me and my twin sister both kind of got serious about it and we were like well maybe we don't want to do soccer anymore and maybe let's actually focus on this track thing maybe people know what they're talking about um and i ended up winning the 100 200 and 400 in the same year and i set the school record in all three um, I ended up running 54 seconds, uh, 23, or sorry, 24 and, um, 12 flat. And then my twin sister ended up beating me in the hundred the following year. Um, but we would go back and forth. Are you talking time. about at the state meet? Yes. At the state meet. It's a yeah. pretty incredible accomplishment. Yeah. Pretty yeah. That must've been awesome. It was great. It was absolutely great. And, um, that's where a lot of the recruitment and all that stuff started to come in and never thought we would have that blindside moment where coaches are coming to your house and asking you, Hey, you should go to this university or, you know, we want to offer you a full ride. And it was just, it was mind blowing something that none of us ever thought would happen. You know, my parents didn't go to college. My dad probably could have played college sports, but it was just one of those things that why, why us, you know, mm -hmm. nobody would have thought we were the kids that could go off and play college sports. When did the recruiters and coaches start showing up? Was it like in your junior year or was it yeah. once you were a senior? Junior year is when people started knocking on our door and giving us phone calls. At the time, that was the like rule. You couldn't talk to people or sophomore and younger. You couldn't reach out to college coaches. They couldn't talk to you. They could send you letters, but they couldn't be official. So we didn't get those official phone calls and visits until junior year. Was it kind of mind blowing when they start calling and showing up and yeah, it was <laughs> start trying to woo you a little bit because yeah. they do that, right? They, yep. they want to sell themselves and sell mm -hmm. their school and they want you to come to whatever school they're representing. Absolutely. Yeah. So when the first time that came to our house, it was almost, it's like a dream. You're just like, these people could be, they're complete strangers, but yet they're offering you the lottery. If you think about it, you know, nobody has, not a lot of people have the opportunity to go to college for free. Um, and so that was huge. Um, just especially for my mom and dad having twin daughters, like, how are we going to do this? We're both like very dedicated and going to go to school and we're going to do this. And it's like, whoa, that's like 60 grand, you know, like we can't just drop that on a degree, you know? So as you're going through high school, you knew that you wanted to go to college, yes. you and your sister, yes. but were you 
thinking about where you wanted to go to school or how you were going to do that no. before the college coaches started calling? Not really. You know, everyone always has, oh, ducks versus beavers. And my family wasn't really into that. It was just like, we play sports and we love it. And that's about it. You know, it was just, we knew we wanted to go to school at the time. I wanted to be, you know, forensics filist, like all that kind of stuff. And I still want to, I got a degree in crime and law. Um, but yeah, it's just like, that was my goal. Finish education, get a better job and pay for things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that was it. So then the sports take off, the coaches come calling and yes. how did you decide who to go with and what was that process like as yeah. it came down to the wire of deciding where you were going to go? Yeah, me and my twin both knew we wanted to go to the same school. That was our first thing. So if they didn't offer for both of us, we weren't going. Um, we were lucky enough that both of us were very similar in speed, very similar in size, that we didn't have that issue of, oh, we only want one of you. Um, we took our first five visits. That's all you get, the official visits. So we went to Utah, Colorado, um, Oregon, Oregon State, and where was the last? I don't remember. Where Obviously, they didn't Somewhere else. have that big of an impression on you. Huh? Yeah, no. So we were just like, eh, apparently. Um, yeah. So yeah, the first school we visited was Utah and we were going to actually do soccer and track and field there, which was like a huge selling point. Um, and it was almost like we almost instantly committed. And then we were both like, mm, Utah's track program, we're more focused on track. Let's, we're not focused on that soccer dream anymore. And we kind of shut that out. Um, and we narrowed it down to Oregon and Oregon State. We wanted to be those homegirls homegirls those hometown girls stick with home <laughs> girls that sounds good i like that <laughs> those we want to be the home girls, girls the twins <laughs> just refer to us as the home yeah girls. the home girls what's up <laughs> uh yeah we wanted to be those hometown girls that stayed in the state that they're from and represent the state we're from and make an impact that way um out of high school we actually did commit to oregon first um verbally um and then we didn't have we only had 75 percent of our school paid for and we were both like mm, at the time we're like, we're getting all these full ride offers. Why would we take 75%? Um, and then, so we decommitted and we signed the papers to Oregon State and took that journey. And that wasn't the worst, <laughs> not the worst mistake of my life, but one of those things that I wish I could turn back time and just choose University of Oregon um, and sign those papers and be done with it. I had a lot of coaches that should have never had seven coaches in my first two years at Oregon State. And it was just my dreams felt like they were just falling out of like, and it was, had no control of it. Well, for people who don't know the track programs couldn't be more different, right? Absolutely. I don't know a whole lot about Oregon state's track program, but yeah. I know that at the university of Oregon, it's a storied program. You Absolutely. have Hayward field. Most kids in the state of Oregon who run track or cross country know all about Steve Prefontaine and Oregon and Absolutely. the national championships. So they're quite a bit different, but I understand where you're coming from because yeah. if one's saying 100%, the other one's saying 75. I know what I would do. I'm also a huge duck fan. Yeah. But um, yeah, you want to get it paid for, right? Yeah, and like you said, you exactly. you didn't really have a way necessarily to pay for school, 60 grand. So yeah, take 100%, but yeah. then things kind of go sideways a bit there. Yeah. So like. yeah, out of, you know, when we were committing, you're signing those papers and the coaches are telling you everything you want to hear. Um, you know, me and my sister are going to be those first two sprinters to come through the program. You're going to have hundred percent focus on you. We wouldn't bring in sprinters if we weren't ready for them. Um, we had a great coach. I had met him before he coached Ryan Bailey, um, Olympic sprinter, if you guys don't know. Um, and we were like, you know, why wouldn't we want hundred percent focus? Oregon's already got the best and we you know we'd have to work our way up. Not that we're afraid of the challenge, but it'd be nice to be focused on out of high school and really get down and dirty into what something that we could be great at be the home girls yeah right be off the, the home bat. girls right <laughs> off the bat everybody wants to be your friend um yeah and so it just turned into a disaster the first year that coach we were told was going to be there wasn't there um and yeah 
three coaches in the first year and then four in the next. And it was just, we had gotten to a point I had gotten hurt. My sister had been running by herself. We never had a consistent season together. Um, the first two years we were there and it was really rough on both of us emotionally and physically. Um, and so my sister was redshirting and at the time, you know, you're not allowed to speak to other college coaches unless you ask for your release. Um, but my sister ran into the coach at Oregon while she was at an unattached meet in uh, San Diego and kind of was just like, man, I wish I would have made the decision to stay there. And it was kind of one of those things like, get your release. You know, he can't say anything, but we both took the chance and went for it. And that's when that transfer process began. And both schools were great enough to sign off and just let us compete the next year because usually when you transfer within divisions you have to sit a year out and you lose a year of eligibility yeah that's a big deal too yeah. so for them to sign especially. off and that doesn't happen very often where no, the schools will sign off especially when they're rivals and they're right down the road exactly yeah so look thankfully you know the coaches at Oregon State had known kind of like not we screwed up but we kind of put you through a lot of things we shouldn't have put you through um and we're okay with this and they signed that dotted line and it was life changed in that moment, you know, got a lot better. So what was it like to have your sister there with you? Because you said it was, uh, you know, taxing emotionally and physically. What was it like having her right by your side there? Um, It was probably a good thing and a bad thing. You know, uh, we feed off each other's energy. So if something is driving me nuts, she's going to get right behind me and be pissed off about it or happy and excited. And so that energy of we're not excelling and we're not getting what we need was double so you get that one person that's upset now you got two with the same Mm -hmm. energy and it's people are scared of it you know or whatever but it gets things done you know (laughs) that's how we look at it the (laughs) homegirls exactly look out for the homegirls it can be very good or look out for the homegirls no that's cool and so when you guys decide to take off you both leave together yes yeah we left in the same year together signed the papers and we actually had um it wasn't just my sister and I that were upset about it. You know, there was seniors that were leaving that we had meetings with the AD. Like, you got to make changes around here. This is not to bash on the YMCA, but this is Division One program, and we're being coached like YMCA. Like, we don't – oh, we don't care if we lose. And uh, we had gotten, I think, 11th out of 12th at Pac-12s one year, and the girls were screaming and so excited about it because we're not last. And I was like, what? Like, I'm used to winning state championships and – setting records and if I'm not PRing or I'm not close to that mark I'm upset about it and I'm Mm -hmm. you know I'm gonna not cheer about an 11th place that's second to last you know Ricky Bobby if you're not first you're last (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you I totally get it so yeah so that was a huge change and exciting so when they end up signing the release for you guys uh the homegirls and uh <laughs> how long did it take you to get out of Corvallis and get to Eugene instantly yeah. <laughs> instantly yeah as soon as that paperwork went through we were out um we were pretty good at getting our leases taken over um because we did still have a year contract with our apartment and that was the only thing that we were afraid of that we were gonna lose all that money and you know of course it's full ride scholarship and everything else but we're still paying for that housing and everything else um thankfully craigslist exists and some girls took it over and as soon as that happened we got all our stuff we loaded up our little cars we have twin cars is what we call them right before um my grandma got sick she her and my grandpa went out and bought us chevy sonics and they're just the only thing that's different is the color (laughs) so that's we loaded those up and my parents came up with a trailer and we just took everything to eugene and got a place right away did it just feel like a weight lifted off your shoulders when you pull into eugene and realize this is happening absolutely we're making the change i'm where i want to be what was that like 
I mean, I don't know if there's a word to explain it. It's kind of just like we texted Coach Johnson, and it was literally the day we were moving in. We're like, hey, we're not moved in yet, but we're ready to practice. You know, and um, we lived right across the track at Emerald Apartments. Mm -hmm. So you woke up every morning to that view of Hayward Field, and it was just like, how can you not be inspired? Um, But, yeah, the first day we were there, we actually went to the practice. They were practicing for um, NCAAs at the time because we had left Oregon State middle of the season, right at the end of the season. Of the second year there? Yeah. So uh, when we got there, we actually met all the girls right before they went off to the NCAA championship. And it was just so different. The energy was like everybody's focused. Everybody wants to be great, you know, and they drive and push each other and completely different scenario. So where does it go from there? Because obviously it's the end of track season. Yes. And you're getting settled there and uh, getting your bearings about you. And then as you go into the next season, what was that like? Yeah, that next season was something I never would have thought would happen so quickly. Um, During the summer, we trained as if we were already in the fall. We were doing fall training, and we repeated it in the fall with the team. Um, Every three weeks, we were doing 30-meter tests and finding out where our speed was. And it was like my speed was dropping instantly. I was finally becoming that strong female athlete that I knew I was. Um, when I got into my last indoor season, cause my first year at Oregon, I only had one indoor season left. Um, I ended up being a part of the indoor DMR national team. We got first place. I became an all American within the first six months of my career at Oregon. And I was like, wow, what, you know, all this time wasted, I could have been four time all American already. Like, you know, all these things that would have, could have, should have, would have. Maybe um, though. Right. Exactly. Because you don't know. You never and know. There's something about. That journey that probably ultimately taught you something for later on down the road. You just didn't know it at the time. Exactly. I always say that, you know, God has a plan. And if it's that's where I'm supposed to be, that's where I was supposed to be. There's a reason I got two years paid of school. But now I'm over here kind of paying for school, but I'm living a dream, you know, so. Um, so did Oregon yeah. still give you 75%? No, we you ended had to walk up, on? we walked on to the Whoa. team. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. It was a whole different dynamic. You know, it's like, we don't have any scholarship money right now. You're literally coming halfway through the season. What do you expect us to do? You know, and we had to earn that back up. We weren't just those girls that were going to be handed the money and you're on the team and you're ready to go. Oregon's one of those programs. If you're not showing us that you're going to help us. You got to put up you, or you shut know. up. Yeah, much, exactly. Right? I mean, exactly. Yeah, so that was a whole different view. It's funny how you don't think that you can make those type of things work. But if you want something, you make it happen and you make it work. And yeah, the money didn't really stop the dream. You know, it's like, I wish I would have realized that out of high school. So what kind of sacrifices did you have to make? Did you have to work or did you just (laughs) rack up some incredible debt in order to to go run with the track team? I mean, I have some debt. It's almost impossible to work enough to pay for college and be a part of the track team. But um, I've worked two two jobs um, since my junior year and up um, constantly working. Um, There was no there's no free time. I'm not a party girl anyway, so that really didn't bug me. But definitely. You wake, I wake up in the morning, six o'clock AM weights, you know, get done. We would, I'd go work at a daycare and then at the middle of the day practices at, or sorry, classes right after that. And then I'd go to practice at four and then home, do my homework and back up again early as I can to get to work. So it was, it was a learning curve, you know, mm-hmm. definitely like I was getting these thousand dollar checks in the mail at Oregon state. I wasn't happy, but I wasn't paying for anything, um, to working full time, and going to school and doing track practice, but being happier. You know, it was one of those things like you don't realize how much you're sacrificing when you're doing it because you love it. 
So Well, and I think just a great lesson in life in general when it comes to money and yeah, it's yeah. nice to have money and be able to do some things and uh, but at the same time, if you're not happy, exactly. I've watched a couple of those Netflix documentaries where people sell off everything and yep. go to the tiny house. You know, they were on <laughs> wall street or wherever, had this big corner office with a corporate job. And then they just decided, you know what, I'm just going to get rid of all of it and go yeah. work a, a totally different job where I can make enough to kind of just get by. And they're exactly. so much happier. So yeah. there's definitely a lot to be said for that. And also earning it. Yeah. Is completely different than when it's just handed to you. Absolutely. And obviously learn to appreciate things more that way. Yeah. Um, but that's a uh, very interesting. Yeah. Very money interesting. didn't buy us happiness. That's for sure. <laughs> so as you get into your senior year at the yes. university of Oregon, do they end up putting you on scholarship or did you have no. to work your way through all the way to the end? Yeah. I finished my, our last two years without that full ride. Um, just working two jobs, the full two years and my senior year, it got a little bit better. I had put a lot of money in my savings. My grandpa had saved coins since he was 18 and surprised my sister, my brother and I with bags of coins. And when I say coins, he had over $15,000 worth of coins in his shop. Like, Are we talking about just like change, quarters and left pennies over and from when dimes. he bought something? Yeah. He would Holy throw it into cow. a jar and we actually took it downtown U.S. Bank down here in Grants Pass. And my mom's trunk of her car would sag until we got until we got there because it was just so heavy. And we came in with all these coins and they were like, what? We've never, ever seen this before. And we were thankful enough to be able to split that between all three of us. And that was huge for my senior year that, you know, and it made him feel good. Like, yeah, I've been collecting these since I was 18 and you get to take them all. And, you know, I'm, we were blessed by that for sure. Yeah. Just to be selfless with Heck it. Because yeah. I remember when my parents or grandparents, excuse me, uh, had us come down to their house and count their change for them. And I want to say it was a couple thousand dollars. And yeah. this has been probably, I bet it was 20 plus years ago. And it was when they bought their first big screen TV. And oh, this was nice. before a lot of people bought big screen TVs, yeah. you know, so it was probably a couple thousand dollars, uh, but that's what we did. We sat there on the floor and organized the change and then they bought the TV. Uh, <laughs> so it's cool that he gave it up. Not that we needed it for anything yeah. at that time. We were, st I think I was still in probably elementary school or junior high at that time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's cool. So it made it a little easier for you. Yeah, and then absolutely. what was the, what was the season like your senior year? Awesome. Um, I didn't have an indoor season, so I actually got to run unattached. I took my mom with me to New Mexico. Um, we did some meets there. I did some meets up in Seattle. Um, really short indoor, didn't really focus on it too much, kind of trained through it. Um, outdoor season, I ended up, you know, PRing all the way through, got to pack 12s and I was running the 100 and 200 for the team. I got fifth and seventh wasn't really my main focus. I was more of a 400 runner, but at the time they needed people for the 100 and 200 for points. Um, when it came to regionals, I got back into my 400 and there was myself, Hannah Waller and Brianna DeRosier. Um, we were that 400 meter group that I had been training with since I got there. Um, we were in heat one, two, and three. Hannah Waller was in one, Brie in two, and myself in three. Um, Hannah makes it to the NCAA meet in the 400. Then Bree comes around and she makes it for the NCAA and I'm on this last round. Like I can't be the only 400 meter girl that can't, that doesn't make it to the NCAA meet. And I ended up PRing. I ran a 52, um, 52, four and I made it to the NCAA meet. And I, that moment was like that turning point. Like I could be really good at this. Um, and then we went to NCAAs and we had our four by four team there. We had our four by one and I was running the 400. So I had three events for that weekend, which is a lot to take on. Um, our four by one ended up getting fourth 
Um, my 400, I got 10th. So I missed that final by two people, which was really a bummer. But, you know, you, I PR'd and I couldn't be happier. I was where I was supposed to be. And I ended up making the USA track and field meet from that meet due to my times. Um, and then the four by four, we got DQ'd. We dropped the baton on the third leg, which was a real bummer. Um, but yeah, it led to USA track and field meet in Des Moines, Iowa. And I got 10th again, which means I missed Doha by two people. Um, so I kind of, that's where that journey to bobsled kind of began is because I thought, you know, track and field's done for the season. I'll go home, go back to working my two jobs and we'll start training again in six months. Let my body recover a little bit. It's been a really long year. Um, and I was sitting at, it's called Big Kahuna Bowls is where I work. It's a smoothie bowl shop. And I got this DM on Twitter. It's like really slow at work and I'm never on my Twitter, but I'm like looking through it. And it's like, Coach Mike Dion wants to send you a message. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I like open it and it says, hey, I'm the USA bobsled um, recruit coach and I'd like to talk to you. And there's no blue check mark next to this name. The guy has a hockey jersey as his profile picture. And I'm like, this is such a scam. Like, what is going yeah, on? Yeah, is this a weirdo that's just <laughs> yeah. creeping out there or what? Yeah, like, there's a who, lot of them out there sliding yeah, up into DMs. Exactly. And I'm like, bobsled. Why in the world would they choose me as a bobsled athlete? I've never done a winter sport in my life. Like, I participated in basketball and I was the stats girl because I kept getting hurt. Like, I never was a winter athlete, you know. So why am I getting this text message. Or, well, and what do we know about winter sports anyway? Yeah. Being from Southern Oregon. Yeah. You can go <laughs> skiing or snowboard on yeah. Mount Ashland, but for the most part, we don't know a exactly. lot about winter sports and especially not bobsled. Why would we know about bobsled? Yeah. And like you see it every four years. You're like, Oh, that's not actually a sport. They just do it. You know, like, yeah, it's they just cool. jump in. <laughs> they go insanely fast yeah. and look slightly crazy. Exactly. You're looks like, like an adrenaline why would rush. I do that? Yeah. yeah. What do we know about that? Yeah. And so I was like, Oh, this is really weird. And he goes, he sends me his phone number. And I'm like, um, you know what? Um, it's slow. Let me take this chance. Um, so I call it, and it's like the real deal. You know, I'm Coach Mike Dion, and we're having a rookie camp in August. Uh, we would love to have you come out here. Um, flights are kind of on you, but we'll supply you with everything when you get out here. And I'm like, going all the way to New York, Lake Placid, New York. Flights on me, and I'm just taking this chance. Like this is going to be the real deal. So I'm like, okay, we're talking. You know, how much do you weigh? How much? How fast are you? Um, I, we saw you at the NCAA meet and we just think you'd be good at this. How did they pick you out of all those people? Cause everyone at the NCAA meet Everyone's fast. fast. So yeah. they just look at it and go, huh, well, she looks, <laughs> she looks faster like a or a bobsledder <laughs> yeah. or maybe the size. I don't know. How yeah. did they decide? Did they tell you how they decided? No, that's the weird thing. So me, I have Still a team. No? no, I, we went, I've literally, every time I go out there, I'm like, come on, Dion, why'd you pick me? What is it? You know, Anyone and we're say? getting closer now and he still won't tell me. Um, but it wasn't just me that got picked off my team. I don't know if you know Spencer Schmidt from Eugene. He was a um, long jumper and he actually was recruited for skeleton. Um, and he's up there with me. So we're doing this, to, this journey together and we're both like, why us? You know, we have teammates that are literally either faster than us or bigger or whatever. And they still chose us. You know why? Um, can't figure it out. <laughs> yeah Try, we're trying but um we're kind of just embracing it regardless but you know i'm just impressed that when you called him you actually called him and you didn't text him first to screen him <laughs> because it seems like these days yeah. and i'm guilty of it too that i would just be like is this really who you say you are right. fire off a text but just the fact that you picked up yeah. the phone and called is pretty impressive <laughs> and then it just escalates quickly from there yeah and as soon as i like hung up that phone i literally kind of locked up the shop like I can't have distractions right now. I'm like super slow anyways. Who cares? I'll tell my boss I'm sorry. Um, and so I called my dad. At the time, my grandpa had been diagnosed with mesothelioma. And 
so he was sitting at the hospital with him and I just remember being like I can't leave my grandpa just got diagnosed with this like I don't know how much time I have left with him and um my dad's like you got to take the opportunity and I was like I want to talk to my grandpa and obviously it was really painful for him to talk like things escalated really really quickly and my grandpa's one of those I guess you'd say hard ass sorry for my language oh, but it's fine I click the e. you're free to say whatever you want whatever you feel um, comfortable saying Go he's for the it. most giving man who'll give anything to anybody but he's also gonna hold you to it and I said grandpa I don't know if I want to go I want to be here for you and he said no you need to get your I'll on a bobsled and you're going to New York and he's the reason I said sure like yeah I'm going um that's awesome that gives me yeah. chills thinking about it <laughs> yeah and we ended up losing him right before I left and wow. so we had the funeral like three days after he had passed away just so I could be there because I was flying out that Monday um to New York for the first time um so that was like really hard emotionally so when I got out there it was just like it was almost like the best and worst experience of my life because I was like I don't want to be here I want to be with my family like mm -hmm. we just lost somebody we spent every day with um and so I was calling my dad like I'm ready to come home da da da, da. and then I got back to Grants Pass after the rookie camp I had done really well still I had gotten second and I was there like you know you could be really good at this we hope you come back you have the option push champs are going to be next month push championships is like with all the pros and we all get together and you know you push off this 100 200 kilogram bobsled and you're like who's going to push it the fastest that's basically what it is push champs simple as that um so I got back to Grants Pass one month out from that and I realized I couldn't stop talking about bobsled like I, I was like uh, do I miss it? Like, what the heck? Like, I, you just wanted to get out of there and get home, and now you're home, and all you can think about is yeah, going back exactly. and getting better, probably. Exactly. I'm like, I kind of want to learn this. Like, who gets this opportunity? And my grandpa's the reason I went. And now, if I just quit, and he's not here to, for me to tell him that I quit because of, he's gonna think I quit because of this. Like, and I'm going through all these things in my head, and I'm like, I want to go back. And so I called the coach and I said, I'll be there. Um, and I ended up spending another two weeks out in New York. So it was kind of like two week intervals. Um, I ended up getting, I think six out of like 12 or 15, including the pros. And so I was like, Oh, okay. My speed. I see why they chose me now. You know, and my this speed is the push helps. thing that you were talking about. Yeah. So, and this was still not on ice. This is still just on like a Mondo track surface. Um, and so they're like, you know, you have all those veterans of the sport, like, Oh, wait till you get on ice. It's not even the same or vice versa but this is kind of how the drivers pick who they want as their brakeman which the brakeman is the person that pushes the sled and jumps in and holds on and that's the simplest way to <laughs> to put it it's a lot more to that but um so yeah that went really well and then came back to Oregon again you know we have it's kind of one of those like why are you back you're literally flying back over to New York in a week and I'm like yeah I don't know this is this sport's really weird so I'm like spending two weeks here in New York now I'm flying to Oregon again no I'm now I'm coming back to New York and I've been all over the place in the last three months, just like connection flights and, you know, living this life that I never, ever thought I would be living. So this is all happening just in the past couple of months, yeah. the situation yeah. you're talking about, exactly. just so people understand that, yeah. that when did you go out to New York and first get started? Yeah. First, How long ago was that? August of this year. So August, 2019 is okay. the first time I flew out. Um, I, it was the 28th because my brother's birthday was the 26th. I had flown out there on the 28th. That's a good day. That's my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Well, Thank you. <laughs> on the 28th. <laughs> yeah. So then I spent two weeks out there in August, came back, um, yeah, two weeks back out in September. Um, yeah. And then October was when I decided like, Hey, I don't want to spend just two weeks 
and the coaches like will offer you you know six weeks I want you out here let's learn how to get on like actually get on the ice and I was like cool um in that beginning week I actually tried skeleton so you know I laid if you don't know what that is it's the one with the skinny literally Isn't like just some boards it's on literally like, like a, a tray kind of? yeah and <laughs> yeah. you just hop on it and you just fly down, fly down face forward on the ice and you're rolling down with it um because I'm more lean than typical bobsledder, like I'm not this super heavy girl, like usually bobsledders are like 160. Um, I was like, sure, I'll try it. Whatever. Sure. I'm trying everything. Screw it. The skeleton. Uh, yeah. You'll try it. And <laughs> yeah. when you say you'll try it, what does that mean? Do you actually have to go down the, what's it called? Yeah, the, the ice track. Thank you. Yeah. The, ice, the shoot. <laughs> I was going to call track. it a shoot. The bobsled track. There you go. Yeah. So there's no other way to practice other than Mm-mm. to just jump on there and go. And how yeah. fast are you going down the bobsled track? Thankfully, there's different starts. And so it starts at start four, which is going to be curved 10 of the 20. So you start halfway through the track. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit slower, but it's still going like 45 miles an hour. So people are thinking, oh, this is going to be slow. You're going to be fine. And me and my friends are, are like, you know, the new rookies. We're like slow. We're going 45 miles an hour on ice with our face down. We've never done this before. Um, and it was fast. You know, you're like never when you've never done something and you're going as fast as you would through town in a car, but now you're on a tiny board and trying to figure out how to <laughs> and trying to figure out how to steer time. this thing. Um, yeah, it was scary at first. And then as you go the second, third, fourth, fifth time, it slows down and you actually start to see the track. Um, but within the first two weeks, I was like, I'm not doing skeleton. This is not for me. Um, so I went up to the coach's office and I was like, I'm going back to bobsled like uh, nope, I don't want to do skeleton. If you want me to do skeleton, I'm out of here. <laughs> well, just you saying that you started to see the track after the second or third time <laughs> says to me, well, you're not seeing anything the first time scares me enough to be like, I'm done. After the first time, I'm out. Not doing yeah, it. Yeah, that, that first time you're just holding on, you're closing your eyes. <laughs> the sled will get down. You're hoping that your sled will get down. Just don't let go. Mm-hmm. Um, don't flip over probably, right? Yeah. Is that possible? Yeah, it's very possible to flip over. if you. So like how you steer a skeleton from what I've learned, I'm not going to speak as if I know the whole sport, but what I learned is you kind of use your eyes as you're, as you're driving. So if you're looking up the corner, you're going to start going up the corner because you, as you're looking, your head's turning. And so if your head's turning, your shoulders are turning and your body's just kind of using that momentum to direct you where you want to be. So if you can drive with your eyes all the way down, it's really, that's the simplest way to put it. Wow. But yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. You make it sound so simple, but something <laughs> tells me it's not that simple. It's not that simple. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. looking over my shoulder <laughs> off the track. Whoops. Yeah. It's very subtle movements. That's yeah. the thing too. Being very slow and cautious with it, even though you're going super fast. So, but yeah, right from there, I was like, I'm going back to bobsled. I'm done. Um, and actually they started a new women's event called monobob and that's what I've actually been doing. Uh, monobob is one man, one woman, whatever you want to however you want to say one home girl one home girl in the sled sled. by herself (laughs) so you push that sled by yourself you jump in you drive and you break it um and so the goal was for women to start getting a four-man sled which would be really cool because that's what the men have a men have a four-man and two-man um they denied the women that and gave a monobob which is complete opposite direction yeah so we have a one-man and a two-man sled for women um, which is kind of a bummer. I mean, they do the, they don't do four man because they feel like it's not heavy enough. It's too dangerous for women to be a part of. And well, that, a I guess that makes sense if it's things. dangerous Yeah. at first glance, like, okay, yeah. how come we don't get four chicks in the sled? Come on. <laughs> but it's been done. So, I mean, it's just, they don't, 
for some reason don't want to make the sled a little bit smaller but they'd rather make a whole new sled and make it difficult you know they actually made it harder on themselves yeah sometimes it just doesn't make sense does it (laughs) yeah not at all but it's been it's been cool though because that monobob allowed me to learn how to drive the sled um so which is different than just being the speed and then jumping in the back and hanging on exactly now you're the driver now you're the driver you got to learn these rhythms you got to know the track you got to know okay i'm coming into curve one it's got to be a right hand turn left hand turn um you start memorizing it and remembering as you go down so I had when I first went to um watch the first day so I didn't go on ice the first day I watched everybody kind of go down these pros and how they drive the sled what it looks like and when you're inside it's called an ice uh, the iced house at the top um it's kind of like just a cabin in the woods with a heater so people aren't freezing um and you see all these drivers kind of like pulling left and right and they're being like super dramatic with their bodies and they're like focusing their eyes are closed and they're making all these weird noises as they're they're getting ready yeah so I'm like what in the world like come on now like you don't need to be doing that like that's so extra um and then by literally by the third day I was getting on the ice I'm over here like pulling my hands to the (laughs) right and left I'm like you have to pretend you're one with the ice and you're like and it was like oh that's why they do that I mean they do it for a reason right they're pros they know what they're doing but yeah so I caught myself starting to do that and it was just it was fun. You know, I got to a point where I was addicted. I was like, let's get on the ice. Let's do it again. Even if I wrecked, I wrecked multiple times. I'm not going to say I was perfect right off the top. I literally wrecked the first time down. Um, and I was, that was the part that scared me. Like I wasn't afraid to get in the sled and sprint and, you know, drive. It was the fact that when I wreck, what's going to happen to me? What (laughs) did happen when you wrecked? Um, I'm small enough and most the monobobs, I just slid to the front of the sled. Um, in the front, there's kind of just these D rings. That's all there is. And then foot pegs, and a brake bar and you kind of just pull up on the brake bar um but when i wrecked you can feel it you can hear the difference it happens so fast that you're not really sure that you flipped over but you can hear the sound of it. it's like smacking instead of this like controlled loud noise mm-hmm. um yeah so i just slid down in and you just kind of hold on until sometimes it flips back up and sometimes it doesn't so if it flips back up you got to be prepared to drive the rest of the way down um but yeah it wasn't as scary as it sounds my body got bruised up but yeah so when you're wrecked did it flip back up the yeah. first time yeah the first time it flipped back up and i was like oh my god yeah. you know and, you're we're at, back. <laughs> and we're back Here we are. that's literally what the announcer <laughs> says and we're back up and we're like okay and you're like uh, pushing through trying to refocus after being like what just happened to me um but yeah and i, I even what's funny is like when i wrecked i was like we got to go back up i can't leave i can't end the day on a wreck like we got to go back up and start over um so yeah it was really fun so you're practicing. Yes. And where are you in the process? How many how many runs have you done yeah. as far as practice goes? Are we talking like 10 or has it been hundreds so far? And, okay. And, and, <laughs> and ultimately what happens after a while? Are you trying to make yeah. the team? Mm-hmm. So within that six weeks that I'm up there, the first two weeks were skeleton. Um, the next two weeks now I'm starting monobob. So that first time I took the monobob up, I started at start four. So we're at curve 10. I stayed there for two days and each day you only get two runs. Um, it takes too much time to get more than two runs. So four trips down the ice at start four. Um, and then I moved up to start three and now we're only like two curves higher, still pretty slow in the eyes of original Bob letters, you know? Um, and I took one day there. So that's two so then I'm at six trips down the ice. And then within that week, the coach kind of pulls me aside. And he said, this Friday, we have an NAC race, which is North American Cup. Um, this is where teams from China, Korea, Jamaica, Brazil, like literally across the world is com- coming in to compete. And we're kind of mixing in Worlds and North American Cup together. 
And I was like, yeah, I'm aware of that. And, you know, why is he talking to me about this? And he goes, would you want to compete in a race for Monobob from the top? And I hadn't been from the top yet. And I was like, he's like, you'd have two days of training from the top and we'll just go for it. And I was like, you know, sounds like fun. We'll just <laughs> go for it. Yeah, How fast do these things it. go? <laughs> yeah. By the time you get to the top, you're going like 70, 65 miles an hour. Okay. We'll just go for it at 70 miles an yeah. hour. Yeah. And so I literally, I look, I looked at him. I said, you know, I've wrecked already. So I know what it feels like to wreck. What's going to be the difference from the top? Let's go for it. I'm whatever you decide I'm in. Um, so that next day he's like, you're racing. And I was like, cool. You know, we're going to, I'm going to get my first race after driving less than two weeks. Sounds like a great time. Um, and so originally actually to come back a little bit, I ended up going down the ice first as a brakeman for one of our drivers, Brittany. So to get that first full experience from the top to kind of know what it felt like, I pushed the sled and just hopped in and held on. So that was my first experience from the very top. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, so you're hooked at that yeah, point. At that point, the adrenaline rush that I haven't had in a long time was like just taking over me. And I love adrenaline. Like, what was that like compared the to the time. track? Oh man, nothing, nothing. More? Similar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, besides being at the USA meet and the NCAAs, that adrenaline rush is completely different. Do you think it's just because you're going so fast? Yeah. And I think too, just being new to it. I think when I was doing track and field, I got to a point at that level that I was confident. You'd still have those like nerves and that adrenaline rush of like, but once I got better at track and field, I realized the less um, emotion of like fear and adrenaline I could put into it, the better I competed. I had that that um, control over my emotions and just putting that energy towards the track. And it, it didn't have that like fear and adrenaline that I had with bobsled. And when you get better at something, usually it slows down. Exactly. No matter what it is. For me, doing yeah. something like this that we're doing right now or even radio, it slows down. Yeah. First time I was shaking like crazy. And then <laughs> after a while, you can do it with your eyes closed. Exactly. So I'm sure it's probably similar. Yeah, very similar. And so, yeah, so I had that, that new adrenaline that I, you know, it's like, your crack, you know, <laughs> I've never done crack, but I'm sure it's very similar. <laughs> no wonder they do it so much. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, I got to do this again. Um, and so that next, that next couple of days is when I started driving from the top by myself. Um, wrecked the first time down. I got all the way to curve 17 out of 20 and I flipped and I was that actually pretty good to me. And I, for, to me, I got to the bottom. I was like, heck yeah, <laughs> I made it all the way to 17. Um, and then I went down again. I actually made it my second time. And so I was like four runs before my race at the top. I had taken four from the top. Like that was it. And I'm going against people that have been driving for two years, you know, and I was just like, well, whatever happens, happens. All I want to do is get down the ice. And I want to push fast at the top. And if I take last, I take last. And I probably spoke that into existence because I sprinted really fast from the top, had one of the top times. And then I got down the track, but I was in last place. <laughs> but so, you made it. But I made it. There was no wrecks. And I got to a point where I finished the race and I, you know, I gave my coach a high five and I was like, I'm confident now. Like, I know I could get down the track. I just don't know how fast it's going to be because I still got to learn the lines and the driving and, you know, everything else. But for me to get a race after two weeks, is like kind of unheard of. Uh, one of the, my roommate at the time, Nicole. Um, she's been driving for a while and she was like, you should be happy. It took me two years to get my first race. Um, and wow. so it was just like, how can I be mad? And now I'm like sitting here in Oregon, I'm going back to Utah on December 2nd. So Tuesday, um, I'll leave again for more driving, but we're going to do it in park city, Utah. So, so you make it all the way to the bottom and now what happens as far as 
progressing forward and yeah. are they looking for people to make team USA? Yeah. So they have already made selections for the team, U- team USA national team. Technically you could say like, yes, I'm a USA bobsled athlete. I've competed in my race, but I'm considered like the B squad, you know, rookie year B squad, just learn the ice, learn how to drive. Um, they have a world's team going on right now. They just made selections for that right before we left. Um, they'll make reselections in about two months or yeah, two months after some races. Um, that is probably not going to happen for me unless I do Brakeman stuff, which is just jumping in and behind the sled. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. Speak things into existence. Yeah, what right. I say, right? You got to see it to make it happen. Yeah. So we'll see where that goes. I know within the first year, things like that aren't promised. I know that I'm not going to be the top dog. I have so much to learn, but you know, in the next two to three years, I'm not going to sell myself short and I'm going to go for those spots and see what happens. Because you have to get down the track, but also speed is the key because it's timed. So how was the time when you made it down? Was it a decent time or? I mean, yeah. I mean, it wasn't horrible. I was only maybe half a second off of that next person above me. Um, the first person, I think it to the first place got like well, it's 58 seconds to get down and I went 101. So, I mean, there's 12 people. We're all kind of like in it together. There's not somebody that's like a thousand times better than the next in that. Like when I was competing, I was actually surprised myself like, oh, okay. My times are pretty close. If I can just learn how to drive the sled down better. I'll be first place, you know, and like these high a couple things that go into it. Right. I mean, obviously you're talking about yeah. speed from the top. Yeah. Which I, I did good there. You know, you that's all speed, I'm good at. <laughs> and then it's just navigating yeah. the corners and mm-hmm. figuring out where to be exactly. in order to shave time. Off exactly. Of it. Yeah. And then that just probably comes with experience and repetition yeah. and doing it more and more and more. Yeah. Um, wow. That's cool. Yeah. We call it like driving the fast lines. Cause if when you walk the, um, ice track, you can kind of see where each sled is taken it's like curves and it makes grooves into the track and everything else. So you can, your coach will be like, this line right here is the line you want to take. And it's like, it sounds really easy when you're making that walk with the coach and they're like, yeah, just slightly pull right here and take this line. And you're like, yeah, I got it. And then when that sled's going down and you've never really done it at that high speed, that's when that like, okay, that line, I need to learn. I need to learn that. Okay. When you start pulling more here and that's the difficult part so far for me is just like seeing those lines and, creating that path because with the track you're in the same lane all the way down you know Mm -hmm. you know you don't worry about left and right and turning and all that stuff so that's been the hardest transition for me is like learning how to drive and all that but this might be a stupid question but are all the tracks the same no they're all different so if you're going to be in a race in new york or in utah they're going to be completely different yeah and so you have to go there and then how much time do you have to learn the track before you have to race typically there's two official training days Um, so you can take a total of possibly six runs from the top before you were in the race. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you, I don't think I could do it. My (laughs) brain doesn't work that way. I just don't understand how they can figure it out so quickly. Yeah. You know, especially when you're going that fast in something that's narrow Mm -hmm. for the most part, it's not like you're driving a car Yeah. and then figure out where to be. And it's just split second in milliseconds really decisions. Yeah, it is. And I think, learning how to drive the monobob has given me like such more respect for the drivers that are doing it at these high levels and going to Europe and Germany and you know all these different spots and just like yep we're getting two days later we're going to be the best that we are um 
it's crazy. And I know one girl, um, Kaylee Humphrey, she just transferred from Team Canada to Team USA after marrying into Team USA. And she's one of the best drivers in the world. She's only wrecked like seven times in her entire career. So we took one of the she's, good ones? Or yeah, what? we have one of the best. We could win the gold <laughs> at the next Olympics, 100%. So she just married in and now all of a sudden she's yeah. Team USA? Yeah, she's, hey, we'll take yes, it. right? Can't be mad about it. Yeah, there was a whole big process. I mean, there's more to that story. But yeah, she... She's with us now, and it's really cool. And then Alana, who's been – she's like the face of bobsled. Um, she'll be back. She's having a baby this year. So um, we'll have one of the top three at the Olympics in 2022. So it'll be really cool. Is it possible to get there? Is that where you're trying to get to? Yeah. So, I mean, 100% the goal is to get to the Olympics. Um, if it's not 2022, it will be 2024 or whatever. Um, I came in, my roommate is Ebony. I don't, I can't say her last name, so I'm not even going to try. Um, Ebony and I are kind of like this perfect duo for two-man bobsled. I weigh only 140 pounds. I'm trying to get up to 150 in the next year with just putting on that weight correctly. Um, but she weighs about 180. Um, so together we're like this perfect all-drive. She pushes and we have both, we're both track athletes from the past. So we both have the speed that matches each other. Um, so we could be this powerhouse if we can just both learn how to be great on that bobsled together. So that's the dynamic goal. We were joking around with our coaches about it. Like, hey, see you in 2028, 24. And he goes, why not 2022? And we're like, all right, you know. So, so you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, so you're telling me there's a chance. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going for it. I'm not going to say no, but. I'm also not going to say, yeah, we're going hundred percent because I can't promise that nobody can, you know, but how much time are you putting in practicing? Oh, Is man. it because you have the sled, yes. right? You have to learn how to drive or brake, whatever, you know, right. depending on where you are and what you're doing. But as far as lifting and running, what other stuff are you doing to get yeah. ready? Um, so the training it, bobsled is an all day thing. That's what I didn't realize about the sport. You know, a track you're spending maybe four or five hours a day. You have weights in the morning, two hours of practice um, in the afternoon. And then with bobsled, it's there's sled work there. You know, you feel like a mechanic part, part of the day. You have to learn all that kind of stuff. Take the sled apart, put the runners on. You know, the runners are the blades that go underneath and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, and then you have your weights throughout the day. You kind of have to pick your own schedule for that because you're so busy with going up to the mountain and working on these sleds that when you have time, you come back and you get your weights in, um, which also includes your sprints. It's just kind of like tracking that aspect. You have weights and sprints, every, you know, three days a week, recovery day on Tuesday and Thursday. Um, and then you also have to get on the ice, you know, so you have a whole full day. Like we would start at 8 a.m., for me anyways, I'd get up at like 8 a.m., go to breakfast, and I'd make sure I'd get my weights in before we left to go work on sled work. Um, and then we'd have two or three hours where you do a track walk. In the track walk, you walk from the bottom of the hill all the way up, and you're going to try to memorize these turns and these lines and everything else. So you have like the um, smarts part of, you know, exercising mental. that mental. Yeah. Um, and then when you get to the top, now you're, you're going down the ice with the sled, and now you're taking maybe two to four hours there because there's all these sleds in between you that before you go and you just have to sit multiple. there and wait for him. Yeah. So it's, it's a process. And then when people wreck, you have, okay, 10 minute hold on the track and, you know, we have to get the sled off and you know, there's all that. So it's a, it's a full day process, which is really fun because I'd rather spend all day doing a sport. That's been my, that's, that's goals for me. You know, mm -hmm. I don't have to work. I can just spend all day, um, doing a sport and yeah. So it's a long process, but so you said spending all day. How did how does that work as far as them taking care of you? Are they paying for 
yes. different things? Because you said when you went out there that you had to get there, <clears throat> they would take care of certain things. Yeah. How does that work? So we stay at the Olympic Training Center. So housing is free um, after. Well, housing is free for people that score high enough on the combine. So when I went, I forgot that part. When you went out for a rookie camp, you do this combine that includes 30 meter sprint, um, 30 meter fly, which is you know track world I can explain that if you want it's just sprint and keeping those feet up and over for 30 meters so it's more of a 45 um, and then you have a 15 meter sprint and uh, med ball throw long jump and then three three reps squat max power cleans and those events we had to compete at the highest level at, and you have to score up to 700 points and there's a whole point system and a chart and everything to, in order to get free housing thankfully I was able to do that so the housing and stuff was covered for me um, food was covered, medical is covered, all that stuff. So that is all taken care of when you go out there. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Who Big knew? <laughs> yeah. I don't know anything about this stuff. So it's yeah. really interesting to me to yeah. find out how it all works and, and they're taking care of that as long as you're still doing it and you'll yeah. do it continuously. <laughs> yeah. So, well, the combine is once a year. Um, but the only time that they can actually cover your housing is when you're staying at Olympic training centers. So when I go to Utah this, um, this week on Tuesday, that housing is on me. That becomes my, me and my teammates and we're getting an Airbnb. So it's actually going to not be too expensive, but that's when it starts to become our problem. Um, and that's the same when we start traveling to Europe and stuff. If you're not funded, you're not the top two teams, it's on you. So that's the only bummer with most professional sports it's like that as well like track and field if you're not sponsored by Under Armour Nike or Adidas or whatever you're paying your way and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize about professional sports is it's actually it is a sacrifice more than like oh they're getting paid you mm -hmm. know they're big time though they're doing the best they're getting paid it's like no in reality we're doing this because we love it um, we're not actually making a ton of money at all yeah there's only <laughs> a select few right exactly. nfl baseball and especially for ladies exactly there's not very many prof professional sports basketball uh, there is but yeah a lot of them are paying their own way so yeah. what are you doing to offset that are you working another job <laughs> yeah so when i'm here in oregon i'm usually i'm up in eugene i'm only here for the holiday right now but um i'm a personal trainer at forever strong performance gym in springfield um, and I also was working at this smoothie bowl shop, but I don't know if that's considered my job anymore because I haven't really heard anything back. I think it's kind of like... Is that the one you locked up to yeah. take off? <laughs> yeah, I think I might have lost that one. I haven't been told officially, but um, I don't know. We'll see. Do you um, want to go back to the smoothie bowl shop if you can? Or are you kind of like, I'm good? I think I'm good. I really love personal training. I love helping people grow and... Um, you know, it also allows me to stay at a gym all day. So when I'm not coaching, I get to do my lift and I get to do my workouts and the people there are awesome. It's like a huge family. So I'd rather spend every day there when I'm here. Um, I'd love to get an online job. So when I'm sitting at home, <laughs> I can actually, you know, make some funds and when I'm traveling and everything else. So that's my goal is to find one of those um, and pay my way that way too. Well, this has been very interesting. Does it feel like we're almost at an hour already? No, all, <laughs> that's huh? crazy. So how can people help you out? I know there was the GoFundMe and that's how I found yeah. out about you. A lot of people were sharing it, people that I know that are connected to North Valley High School. So is that the best way to help out if they wanted to help support what you're doing? Yeah, GoFundMe would be awesome. I love, and you know, any donations or words of wisdom and anything coming from people, I don't, I don't mind getting direct messages on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I enjoy that kind of stuff. You know, like people are watching. I like to think that I'm inspiring you know young girls and guys and it's fun that's kind of what drives me along 
a lot of the time is like who I'm helping and who who thinks they can't do this, but they can. Um, so anybody that wants to reach out, that's more than welcome. GoFundMe would be awesome. Help me pay my way. Um, yeah, anything. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason I wanted to have you in because it's so inspiring seeing what you're doing, being from here especially. And as you and I were talking before we started the podcast, there's so many amazing people from around here. Exactly. And just the story of you going from Oregon State to Oregon and then someone sliding up into your DMs yeah. <laughs> that's actually a coach for bobsled is just crazy that it even happened to begin yeah. with that they saw you and decided to reach out to you and then you being brave enough to well one call and not text <laughs> back but also follow up with it and give it yeah. a shot and see what happens who knows right where it could go from here yeah that's the exciting part exactly it's that you're just going for it and I kind of get this feeling that you're just like and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, you're just going for it. Yeah. And then if it doesn't work out at some point, then you'll figure out where to go from there. Yeah. But you have your degree. Yes. And so you can always fall back on that. Yeah. I think, yeah, I've kind of came with this mindset after I got after graduating. Well, I guess before leaving Oregon state and I came up with this mindset that if opportunity presents itself, take it, Mm -hmm. you know, the worst thing that can happen is you fail and you always learn from failures. Um, so I'm not going to turn down an opportunity that's so once in a lifetime because I don't think I'm going to fail. I think I'm going to excel in this and I'm going to keep going until I don't. <laughs> so Ultimately the goal, making it to the Olympics. Yes. Yep. Which would be amazing. Yes. And we've had a few people from around here make it to the Olympics. So <laughs> yeah. it's not like it's impossible. So if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? If someone's listening, somebody stumbles across this podcast Maybe they have a couple dollars they want to throw your way or maybe more than a couple dollars <laughs> and they want to support what you're doing. Yes. What's the best way to get a hold of you? All right. If not through my GoFundMe, then go ahead and find me on Instagram with Vanessa with an E. So V-E-N-E-S-S-A underscore Darpino at D-A-R-P-I-N-O. Um, I see my Instagram more than I see my Facebook and my Twitter, but I'll pay attention to all of those. Very cool. All right. So as we wrap this up, I always like to talk to people about words of encouragement. If you have any thoughts, I know you said you, you like to inspire and hopefully someone else sees what you're doing and they're encouraged to do something that maybe they hadn't thought about doing any words of wisdom you want to share words of encouragement. And you're better than the person that you think you are. Um, never settle for average and always push through, push through the pain and the hard times because the glory at the end is always worth it. Wow, that's a good one. <laughs> okay, say it again. You're better <laughs> than the person you think you are? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't think I've heard myself. it put that way before. <laughs> I don't think I've heard myself put it that way before. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. I'm going to have to make a note of that. We've got to yeah, write that down somewhere. Quote. I like yeah. that. I'm going to keep reminding myself of that all the time because it basically sums up what I've talked about a lot on this podcast is encourage, encouraging people to try and do things that they want to do. Yeah. And just like you've done, you didn't wait. You decided to go for it and attack yeah. it. And uh, we really don't know what we're capable of until we try. So really? it's important to put it out there and give it a shot. And uh, you never know. Maybe we'll see you on the Olympics someday. Yes, hopefully. That's well, thanks for coming over to the creepy guy's house and say, come <laughs> on over to the garage. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, I've enjoyed getting to know you a little bit here. Yes. And uh, hopefully it wasn't too painful. It was awesome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Maybe we'll find someone who wants to help you out a little bit. Here. That'd be cool too. So uh, there it is. Garage Talk Podcast from South Grants Pass. You can uh, follow along. Don't forget to uh, give it a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Also leave a review if you wouldn't mind. Share it with your friends. GarageTalkPodcast.com is the website and it's available pretty much anywhere. So Vanessa, again, thanks for coming over. Yes. Thank you so much.